Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. This is Stella Thomas. Hi, I'm Stella Thomas. Stella Thomas had been living in her little world for 27 years, and Stella did not know it yet, but that world was about to come crashing down all around her. Wait, what? Your world wasn't real. So Earth just doesn't exist? Who was she in the absence of everything she'd ever known? We're garbage collectors. So you used me so that you could get back onto a garbage collection ship? Yeah. Lost and confused, Stella joined the crew of the Starship Raccoon, which left her even more lost and confused. I have no friends and no feelings, but I do have knowledge. I am the writer and editor of the ship's best and only weekly newspaper. The next one is the swimsuit edition, in which I try on and then review various swimsuits. Oh, a kitty! Oh, a bitch! Ah, your cat talks. Your human talks. I'm a snail. Strong Branch Productions presents a sci-fi comedy that will leave you asking, Why? What does it all mean? So, hypothetically, what would you say if I accidentally got the crew involved in something illegal? I would say, did you? I wish I could do math. You're an android puppet. You're made of math. Yes, but I don't like to think about it. You all might die. How would we all die? Fire. Possibly fire. Welcome to the Benevolent Robots Corporation. We make robots that are good and definitely not evil. I am a wealth of knowledge, you insolent little meat sack! I will piss in every shoe you've ever owned. This crew is a nightmare I can never wake from. There was a seed inside her, and that seed was this. Why not fuck around and see what happens? I'm freer than I've ever been. I take it all back. The Stench of Adventure Season 2, coming to a device near you in Spring 2022. For more information, or just to say hi, visit our website at www.strongbranchproductions.com. Join our Discord community, follow our Twitter at StrongBranchPro, or email us at contact at strongbranchproductions.com. Oh, it's called marketing, sweetheart. Get with it or get out of town. If you call me sweetheart again, I'll claw out your liver. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Call of the Void. It is uh, approximately, uh, it's uh, 4.37, and I'm approximately two miles west of Crofton, 38.86 degrees north, Negative 83.81 degrees west. 
it's quiet. Uh, temperature is uh, 63 degrees. Looking into the area, this seems to be normal for this time of year. My name is Victor Summers. I'm a professor at Nellie University in New Orleans. My address is 411 Coliseum. The Call of the Void is a sci-fi mystery podcast created by husband and wife team Josie Eli Herman and Michael Allen Herman. Set in modern New Orleans, the story centers around a brother and sister, Topher and Simone Summers. When their father goes missing, the siblings team up with a palm reader named Etsy to investigate a mysterious entity in the swamps outside of town. The show borrows elements from the Lovecraftian cosmic horror genre, but it builds its own mythology as it tells a story about finding hope in the midst of darkness, loss, and isolation. The first episode, The Tourist Trap on Bourbon Street, introduces us to the summer siblings as they search for their missing father. Topher Summers, in his investigation, reconnects with old high school friend Etsy, who may be more than she seems. I spoke to Josie and Michael remotely from their home in Michigan. Why don't each of you tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creator? My name is Michael. I'm one of the creators of the Call of the Void audio drama podcast. I have my lovely wife here with me, Josie. Hi. And we created uh, this show together. We love Lovecraftian horror. We love spooky audio fiction. And yeah, we're just super excited to be talking on the show. I'm Josie, the other creator of Call of the Void. Michael and I met doing theater together. So we both have a background in theater, both acting and as well as playwriting and uh, directing. directing and uh, so we really kind of crossed over into the audio scene from that world, from the theater yeah. world. And as you can imagine, with those many different hats, we do that in the audio space, too. We are our own sound designers. We are our own directors. And uh, we work. We wear many hats at the, all, all at the same time. <laughs> well, why don't you uh, just briefly lay out for us what each of you does for the show? Yeah, well, it's sure. super collaborative, honestly. So we work together kind of from start to finish. Uh, from the whole process. So as writers, we we write it together. And then editors, same thing. Jo uh, Josie is the director behind this project. So all of the fluidity of the performances and the world, how it's built so well, that's all her cup of tea that she's crafted over there. So she's a genius as a director. But we do, yeah, we work together all the time. Yeah, from the ground up, we brainstorm together for the very, very initial concept of each season and then we do kind of note cards together and kind of do a an outline together and then we will step into roles michael very often will do sort of a first draft of a scene and then i will do second draft and then we'll kind of look at it together and we edit together as well yeah, yeah so <laughs> and then I, I think i i do a lot of the social media but we even share that responsibility yeah, yeah. too it's really sort of you know two hands yeah i do time. i do some of the graphic design and then michael does a lot of the promotional stuff. Very collaborative. <laughs> so you met doing theater. Was this at college or what's your, yes. what is your, like both of you, I'm curious as to what your earliest background in the arts is. Yeah. Well, we met as rivals and we were in the theater department at Eastern Michigan University. So yeah. it's kind of the weird indie step cousin of the University of Michigan, but yeah. it is in Michigan and uh, mm -hmm. they have a great theater program there. And that's where we met and started doing some productions together. I directed her. She directed me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we started we, doing photo shoots. 
Oh, yeah, we started doing photo shoots together, too. Yeah, we were in some shows together, and that's when we kind of kicked it off and became more, eventually became more than friends, and now we're married. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I think our uh, our collaboration as artists started before we were even in a relationship. So, How did you end up going into audio drama? Michael studied at USC. He studied screenwriting. So um, actually, and this was before, uh, I think even before we were in a relationship, we were just friends at the time. Michael, directly after college, went out to California for a while. And so I kind of thought, well, okay, goodbye. I guess I'll never see you again. <laughs> um, but then he, he got his master's in screenwriting. Yeah. From then on, we, we just kind of kept in contact. Michael did a lot of film stuff. Yeah, know? we did some film work. There's been like a, a couple of productions that have thankfully gone all the way to completion in film, which you've been really thankful for. But <laughs> And a lot of them that haven't. And a lot of them that haven't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, but then I also started working for Parcast, which was another audio production company. And they do more like true crime, historical retellings of things, things like that. And I remember just dipping my toes in that. And that's when I came across Rabbits for the first time, or we came yeah, across we, Rabbits. Yeah, we started listening to Rabbits together. Yeah. And we thought that was the yeah. coolest thing ever. Like, what a fiction story in this space. We thought that Rabbits was the first one to have ever done audio fiction ever. And <laughs> yeah. it blew our minds. And we were like, what? Now, obviously, there's been way more before Rabbits. But um, yeah. we thought that they were way cool, you know. Yeah. And that was our first exposure to an audio drama podcast and yeah. not just a, like a talky informational podcast. So we're big fans of the sci-fi genre and the horror genre. What you can do with an audio drama that you can't do with film is do a huge concept on a very small budget yeah. <laughs> because you don't yeah. need all these special effects. You can do it with sound design that you create yourself or freesounds.org. Or right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the theater of the mind, right? That's the power yes. of, of the imagination. And this is something I wish that filmmakers would sort of take advantage of. Every time I see a horror film, it's like, I'm really scared until I see the monster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you see the monster, then all of a sudden, like, oh, that's the monster. Because <laughs> it's not nearly as scary as the monster that was in my head. You're right. You're, the fear goes away when there's certainty because you, know, yeah. you know things now. Yeah. Why audio drama for this particular story? Like almost like, I think it was like a year ago before we started working on Call of the Void, we had a chance to go to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, down there, there's such an incredible culture and people down there. They're always sort of ready for doom. Because, uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and they, they, yeah it's, it's true. It's kind of like this. Everyone's just living on this edge of like, you know, we might have a hurricane and might just destroy like everything. destroy everything. Yeah. So that's just yeah. kind of our lives. Right. But they weren't like scared about that. They no. were just kind of like, yeah. yeah, you never know, man. Just uh, buy some more soup cans and we'll hang out. You know, it's just, they're, they're cool. They're just very crazy people. And at the same time, we were reading a lot, a lot of Lovecraft and just, you know, sort of like getting into this idea. Yeah, it was just kind of known. a weird meld of we were interested in reading Lovecraft together and we went to New Orleans and we were like, what if Lovecraft in New Orleans? Right. Yeah, yeah right. But yeah. we were thinking, okay, if Lovecraft is unknown horror and unknown horror is you can't yeah. imagine it. Cthulhu is, you know, there's a chibi version of Cthulhu. You can you can very much picture Cthulhu, right? Yeah, there's t-shirts. Yeah. It's yeah. very... He's almost like not scary anymore not because scary. everyone kind of has an image of Cthulhu already. Yeah. So we were thinking, what would like a, maybe a modernization or another step in that be like? And that's where this idea of an entity that is the void, you know, the sort of very mm -hmm. mysterious, shapeless kind of thing that's, that's uh, haunting and affecting people. Our monster is a little bit less of a, of a physical tentacle monster and more of just like a monster that's interior. Yeah, it's cerebral. Like in, in, yeah, cerebral monster. Mm. And, and we just thought that that type of monster, that type of entity would be really awesome to do in an audio space where 
you have to use your imagination. Yeah. yeah. And we try to push that as far as we can. So often characters will say things like, wait, do you see what's going on over there? And then we'll let it sit there for just a couple seconds so that the audience gets to imagine what might be over there, get a little bit of that, you know, unnerved feeling inside them. I don't know what's on the other side of that wall. Um, just so that we can build into that a little bit of like unknown horror energy and a little bit of that unknown horror vibe. What about this story made you want to tell it now? Was there something about this particular storyline and this particular idea, themes and so forth, that really spoke to you at this particular time that you wanted to put this out? That's a great question. Absolutely. So the title of The Call of the Void is actually a reference to a very specific feeling or like a phenomena that people have. And it's when you're standing on the edge of something and you feel like, oh, maybe I could jump right now. Or you're holding a knife and you're thinking that you could stab somebody with it. And that's an awful feeling. And they're just intrusive thoughts, right? They just sort of come into you and you don't know where they came from. We were thinking like, that is a very interesting psychology. And I feel like a lot of people are feeling that. A lot yeah. of people are experiencing that. Yeah. And, and just a, a lot of people are feeling, particularly around this time of COVID, uh, there is a lot of fear. A lot of people were kind of the things that made them comfortable were all of a sudden shattered. And so they're kind of like sitting mm. in, in this state of perpetual isolation. isolation. Yeah, isolation and needing a little bit of hope. So I think Call of the Void is, there's a lot of hope in, in the messages that we're saying. So I think that was what we were. Yeah, cosmic horror has a lot to do with feeling insignificant, right? Yeah. The, uh -huh. the bad guys you fight, I mean, there's no winning, right? <laughs> and right. not only that, it's like they barely even care you exist. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And there is a hopelessness and dread that seems to exist within the cosmic horror space. Mm -hmm. But you said that you were interested in introducing hope into that situation. Yeah, yeah. That very was much. something Yeah, was something we very, talked about very early on is that we wanted to take one step beyond what people do with Lovecraftian horror and actually go, okay, well, what if it wasn't as dismal? What if the message that we are saying is a fighting back of, of mm. that? hopelessness of that isolation and insignificance. When you listen to the whole show, there's kind of reoccurring themes of people saying, you know, you are nothing, you're emptiness, you're hollow, and our characters need to keep fighting against that, those feelings. So tell me about your audio drama in your own words. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to give you like the log line or the one sentence, it's a tour guide and a palm reader in modern day New Orleans as they battle against a cosmic entity that longs to bring the world into perfect stillness. And that's sort of like the, the pitch that we always throw around and share with people. But, you know, it is really about these people. It's about these characters who they all are a little bit off. We've designed them all so that they're all a little strange, whether they're fighting with depression or whether there's something a little bit strange about their psychology, how they see the world. We try to make the world feel a little bit peculiar and a little bit different than like reality. We often try to take like a psychological idea and then try to like dramatize it into a narrative story. That's kind of what the world feels like to us. It feels like standing in front of a void and seeing this like unending darkness, this inky black darkness and wondering what's out there and why is it pulling me closer? Another part to that too is there's humor to it as well. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's pretty funny. We like to make it as human as possible with humor. Uh, like there's some dark themes, but there's also a levity to it. There's a love between the characters. The characters are very loving towards each other, whether that's brother and sister, the Summers family is all very loving towards each other. And Topher and Etsy, they really grow in their love for each other. Uh, are you two still doing lunches on, on Tuesdays? Not this semester. <laughs> He's been doing more research. What kind? I don't really know. I assume something to do with physics. <laughs> that was a joke. He's a physics professor. <laughs> Yeah, he is. Maybe he just misplaced his phone. He color coordinates his lecture notes. Well, sometimes people forget things. Not Victor Summers. Okay, he's the space on the left there. Does it always look this clean? I think so. 
I don't come back here very often. <laughs> the Wi-Fi is better on the other side of the building. One thing that does stand out to me is that you guys write some really nice banter. And so I do agree that there's a kind of very human and very natural sounding rhythm to the way that these people talk to each other. Um, oh, gosh, it thank does, you. It does add some lightness to the immense. Now, I have to come back to something you said, Michael, that you feel like we're seeing a void in front of us and wondering why it's calling to us. Is that how you feel about life in general or existence? Or is that just for the purpose of this show? Good question. Well, you know, I think, okay, so, you know, water at night is very scary to me. And uh-huh. I think that, you know, that feeling is like a very spooky feeling. And I mean, I'm not like, I, I'm not suicidal. I'm not like jumping into chasms everywhere I can. But I do think that there's something very interesting about, you know, like what is on the other side of that, that darkness and what's peering back. But no, no, no. I think I'm a very, you know, joyful yeah. person. I think I'm a very think loving person. I think we are. Um, for this show and for like the, the topics that we talk about, we're like shockingly happy people in real life. I think artists like to, we like these themes of death and, 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 and darkness. And I don't know, there's something kind of emotionally gratifying about those. Yeah. Ideas. Going for those deep dives. Yeah, going for those deep dives. Seeing what's no, down well, there, it's, you know? it's fun to play with some of those scary kind of things to help understand them. Maybe looking at my new show, The Love Talker, you know, you put horrible things into horror shows. And I think you have to, because if you really want to examine the, the depths of, human evil you have to show the evil i think the best horror that's not simply pure entertainment the ones that really kind of stick with you and get under your skin are the ones that could possibly actually be true yeah yeah we love to have that deep metaphor that's sort of playing Mm -hmm. as an undertone in the horror genre i completely agree with you it's saying something it's exploring something but it's doing it through a very fun genre you know that's very exciting and you want to go down that hallway and you want to see why you know why is that a creepy room you know you want to see what's down that place but uh yeah, being able to to walk down that place is just, it's really fun. You guys remastered your first episodes, right? We, we did, did, yeah. So talk to me about the decision to do that. As we grew in the show, we got a lot better with the things that we do, both in the writing and the sound design, even the acting and stuff. So when we were doing season two, we were like, wow, this is good. This is really good. And, and we kind of were like a little embarrassed about, about some things in season one. We're yeah. like, oh gosh, like we just didn't know what we were doing. I mean, it was the best that, it was the best that we could have done at the time, but, sure. uh, but we had just grown a lot. So we did decide to do a bit of a remaster because I think some people were starting our show and going, this show doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound very professional. The sound effects don't sound super real and stuff. We didn't go crazy with the remaster, but we just did a little bit of uh, yeah, sound mixing sound mixing to it. A couple things were cut. We also, as the story developed, we changed a couple things here and there. Because how amateur it began. I mean, there was even like mic bumps. Yeah. And page turns. Page turns. And you know, stuff. I mean, moments that we were just sort of uh, rolled our eyes at yeah, ourselves. Yeah. We were like, oh my gosh. This wow. isn't as polished of a product as, as yeah. it can be. And I think that there's things we're very proud of in season one, but there mm-hmm. are still a few things that were sort of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely <laughs> listen. We, got better at we definitely listen and kind of laugh a little bit yeah. at some parts and everything, but it's all part of the process of growing. But the thing is, we never could have improved to where we are now and how we mix sound now and all that stuff if we hadn't done that first season. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. You just, you can't improve something that you've never made before. And I think that um, the tendency for a young creator or a young artist is to wait until you're perfect or wait until you're a genius before you create something. I don't think it works that way. I think you you grow and grow, you know? Yeah, just have to kind of get your hands dirty and, and grow as you're making the art. So the first episode, The Tourist Trap on Berman Street. In this episode, we get to meet the main protagonist of your show. Um, That's brother and sister Topher and Simone Summers. They are in search of their father, Victor Summers. 
uh, who is a physics professor, at the very beginning of the episode, something happens to Victor. It's very mysterious and very scary. And then he goes missing. Topher and Simone have to try to figure out what happened and where he is. Along the way, they meet Etsy, who is a palm reader in New Orleans. It turns yes, out she's absolutely. actually psychic. At least that seems to be the case because she actually touches Topher's hand and we get an audio little montage of sound. No, it's fine, man. I get it. It's very cool. So you want your palm read or what? Oh, uh, sure. Great. Yeah. Uh, which hand do you... Um... Generally the right. Great. So I'm just going to feel your hand first. When I woke up for school, he's already gone. I cannot accept. Missing persons record. Mutually exclusive. If it were Topher or Tomorrow. You okay? Etsy? <sighs> Sorry. I couldn't see anything. What were you trying to accomplish in this first episode? So we have heard a bunch of shows, and a lot of shows feature somebody going missing. And we love those shows. We really do. But we thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if both the mystery of somebody going missing and what happened to that person could be lit in the first episode? What would the dramatic story feel like if we're trying to figure out what happened to this person rather than just like, where just is this person? where is this person? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why we really wanted to keep that timeline nice and fast and um, aggressive so that the listener at the very end goes, oh, I think I know where this is going. It's a missing dad. And then like, oh, no. They missing, found the dad. They found the dad. And he's, <laughs> he's crazy. He's weird. Yeah, like something happened to him. Yeah. And now that's the mystery. Of course, we're also interested in setting up our world, you know, meeting all of our key characters and getting a sense of, of Nola just in general, you know, try to get as much jazz in there as possible, yeah. try to get as much world. And I think uh, as much of, of the characters' voices as possible. Um, so we meet Topher and his whole goal that whole episode is basically just find my dad and protect my family. And that kind of carries him through the entire season, really. With the character Etsy, we were purposely a little bit more mysterious and guarded with setting up her. We didn't want to we didn't want to re reveal too much, but we wanted to reveal her character. That's one of my favorite parts is the when Topher and Etsy first meet in that scene. Uh, just like the banter is very fun there. And, and we kind of get we immediately get what kind of connection that is and how she interacts with people and how Topher interacts with her and did it start or? i'm getting something there's a stage mostly empty a boy standing alone a crowd of people in front of him they're young high school probably there's something there's a song it's a terrible song wonderwall how did you know that i'm psychic wait do i starts with an e oh wait um evie Elaine, Ethel. Wow, Ethel. No, it's uh. Ethel is like the name of my great grandmother's governess. No, I, I I remember it. Um, we had creative writing together. We had six classes together and did two shows. You were on costume crew. Props. Right. Uh, e. Etsy. Etsy. Delman. I was close. Mm. You were at that talent show. I was. Also, your name is not Victor. Topher. Yeah, I know. You remembered it. No, I'm just psychic. Ah. I guess another thing that we strive to do in that first episode, too, is to give the audience an expectation for what to expect with every episode. And I think that's really important for audio creators is to know what you're giving to them every week. If you're giving people some good scares every week, you have to have that in every episode. Or if you're trying to give them some good, you know, philosophical mystery, conversation yeah. or mystery or just good comedy, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you're trying to deliver, that should be in your show because people are excited about that stuff. What's scary? Specifically for this show, we do love that unknown. 
not knowing what's over there and sort of planting the seed of, is there something over there that's creepy? You know, but we especially like more of that psychological thrill or sort of that weird, eerie feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. that you, that audio is so good at making. There's so many good shows that just do a wonderful job of making you feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I think (laughs) that this show, we tried very hard to do that as well, to give this feeling of of eeriness and offness. I think we do that with some of the music mixing and some of the sound design. Mm -hmm. Um, But even the performances, we try to like make the characters just very reactive to the environment and um, feel like they are at danger really at any time. You know, there's something that could come towards them or, or move towards them at any moment. The idea that you can lose things just on very fast, all of a sudden something that you have is taken away from you and even things within yourself are taken away. And, and the, the idea of you are nothing, you are emptiness, that's kind of a scary thing yeah. for a lot of people. And so it's kind of uh, dramatized in, in certain ways throughout the season. Yeah. Can we yeah. throw the question back at you, Keith? You, Keith? What's like yeah. in your world yeah. and in your stories, yeah. what's scary to you? Uh, certainly the unknown, I think, is part of it. I think part of it is also wondering whether the things that are evil or the things that are scary are also within you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I really love shows that unsettle the nerves that aren't necessarily about the big screaming monsters, but the ones that just kind of creep in and they sit there on your amygdala and this kind of. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) There's something weird that's happening and it's getting closer and it's getting closer and I'm, I'm coming along with it. There's this heightened alertness, right? There's this sense yeah. of, of danger. That kind of slow burn buildup is what does it for me. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. That is so oh, yeah, scary, definitely. isn't it? Just <laughs> never letting it off the gas, just sort of feeling this rise. Oh, so scary. Yeah. So how long have you two been married? Two years. Two years. Or almost, almost two years. Uh, almost two years. About a year, year and a half. So was this before or after The Call of the Void kicked off? We did season one before we were married, and then we got married before season Just two. Just before season yeah, two. Before yeah, before season two, we, were, we got married. So I have to ask, some people say uh, you should not mix your married life with your work life. <laughs> How's that going for you two? Hey, you know what, though? I'm very lucky. Josie is such an incredible collaborator. She is a genius. There's no other way to say it. She's so smart at what she does. She's so intuitive and instinctive on how to tell story. And it's just such a joy to have her as a partner. Well, yeah, I feel the same way about Michael. I mean, I think because we had worked together so much before we were even in a relationship and we realized how well we work together, that might have been, you know, one of the right. reasons we kind of fell in love was right. like, well, I love working with you. Yeah. And I think we're both so passionate about uh, telling good stories. And we will stay up till 3 a.m. talking about our characters and just laughing. And, we do. Yeah. And- the benefit of it is certainly that you can talk about your show all the time, all the 24-7. Time. <laughs> and we do. We talk we about the show a lot. We really we will go out to like get coffee or something yeah. and we're talking about the show the drive home we're still talking about the show we, we love to talk about the world and we know all kinds of little facts and details about the world that yeah. you know they don't even really make it into the show but we just know the characters in a yeah, very intimate fun. way yeah what do each of you struggle with yeah. i am very bad at finishing things yeah and i think call the void has really shown me that that endings and me are very difficult right towards like you know it's kind of the end of act two or mm-hmm. like right before we start to i know what the climax is going to be but i don't really know what that sort of in between right before the climax then sp- certainly how to like actually end the show and um i struggle with that because i feel like I, there's often not enough content w- when we're like writing that season or even just like trying to get to like a satisfying ending i have lots of ideas but how do you actually like make them uh, get to the end and that's really challenging fortunately that's something that i am good at yeah. is is ending things and and finding a good ending 
I think the thing that I struggle with that Michael is really good at is I'm sometimes like scared to start a process. Like I remember when we started Call the Void, we wrote it all and we recorded it all. And then it was just like, huh, okay, well, now I'm scared to share that. So so <laughs> and it, Michael and was really, for, yeah, it sat for a little while. Like six months. Uh, we almost didn't yeah. make it. We really thought that maybe this project will be one that just sort of like sits yeah. on the cutting room floor. And, and, doesn't go and Michael's really good about just being like, well, you know, let's put it together. It's It might not be perfect, but it's going to be the best that we can make it right now. So I think that, I think we complement each other in our strengths and weaknesses and, and yeah. That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then, I mean, I guess other things I struggle with, you know, when you do see like a bad review or somebody oh, yeah. says something we both, mean. We both suck at that. Yeah, <laughs> that can unravel you, certainly, you know, because you spend so much time and you care about it. And then somebody says like, no, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And hey, they ha- they're, they're so allowed to have that opinion, you know. Not every piece of art's for everybody, but yeah. gosh, those are some challenging moments too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I don't even know if I have any advice on that one. That was just like, you kind of just, like, just... Just sit down and cry for yeah. a little while <laughs> yeah. and then you'll get over it yeah. eventually. Right. <laughs> I think most independent measurements would say that The Call of the Void is an indie audio drama success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, oh, gosh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's see. You've got, what, almost 450,000 downloads. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're pushing close to half a million now. Yeah, pushing half yeah. a million now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fantastic. That's congratulations. You you start. You just launched your third season. Is this the final yes. season? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the, final the last season. one. Mm-hmm. You've won several awards. The level of success you've achieved is certainly remarkable, and a lot of that I certainly think has to do with the storytelling and the production value that you put into it. But I'm wondering if you have any insights as to why you achieved the kind of success that you did. People love stories. They love to share stories, but they love to share stories that like look cool and look fun. And if you are able to make a, I, don't, I hate to use the word brand on social media, but if you have sort of this first handshake, whether it's your your poster art or whether it's something like your Twitter that really sort of invites people in and says, hey, this is an interesting world. That's your, your trailer. It gives, too. A, it gives a pretty good idea of what the show is. Something that kind of gives the vibe of horror or if it's comedy, gives a vibe of comedy, you know, just, just some kind of immediate graphic or yeah. an invitation website or whatever. Maybe it's just a page or something, but just something that is a good way of introducing your show is, is something to start with. Grow in the community. Realize that there's a great community of audio drama people, both makers and listeners. Talk to everyone you can find on social media or whatnot. I didn't think we even remotely knew how many people would listen to it, but we did know that it had a place on the shelf and next to some mm-hmm. other audio dramas. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was very strategic. That wasn't just like, oh, yeah. magic. Was like People seem to like sci-fi. Yeah, people like sci-fi. They like something horror. with a little bit of a dark edge. And we thought, well, what kind of show can we tell in that world? You know, mm-hmm. And so knowing that was, was super, super important. Right. Yeah, and, and I think also realizing that it can grow as the show goes. I think just as a little example of that, when we first launched our first episode ever of Call of the Void, we got 100 listens on the first day. And, and we, we were, were like, so we were excited. Like, wow, 100 listens. That blew our mind. That's awesome. Because like, again, we come from theater where yeah. if you get 100 people in a house, that's oh, awesome. That's yeah. a big so, week. And that's so big. we were really yeah. proud of that. But in our last episode that we just launched, we got, what was it? I like, think it was 4,000. 4,000. 4, we got 4,000 listens the first day. Realize that. So exponential. Yeah. Like it can grow and you can grow as an artist and keep building your own community as, as you're releasing. The third season of The Call of the Void just started. This has been a project that two of you have been doing for what, two or three years now. Uh, yeah. You got married in the middle of it and it's going to end. How does that make you feel? 
Ooh, we are emotional about that. Yeah, we're really emotional. It it, it only hits us occasionally when we're like, uh, we're so we're so used to saying we have to work on all nine episodes. And then after we release the first one, we we're like all eight episodes. Oh no! Oh no! Now we're, yeah. it's only eight episodes that we have to work on. So, <laughs> right. so that's what it, like. There's moments like that where it really starts to hit us. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be really sad. Although we have each other, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, and I think that we. We love to create, so I think we will be stepping into other projects, I think. Topher and Simone Summers? Uh, that's us. How is he? Your father has had a bit of an accident. He's experienced some sort of trauma. What kind of trauma? We're, we're not sure yet. He's very disoriented right now. Clammy skin and large pupils. He's even been talking to himself, but his pulse is perfectly normal. Is actually a little low. That's very unusual for a patient in his state. Do you know why this is happening? At the moment, we don't. But we're working as fast as we can. I just wanted to warn you before you step in there. Sure. Has he always been visually handicapped? Visually handicapped? He was blind when we found him. He was never blind. With high production values, strong voice acting, and a story in a popular genre... It should be no surprise that The Call of the Void is a successful indie audio drama. What makes it stand out, though, is its fresh take on a familiar genre, a well-placed building of tension, and carefully written characters that you come to care for. You can listen to The Call of the Void on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.